Hello and you're very welcome to the AA Ireland podcast. I'm Anna Cullen. And I'm Paddy Common. Paddy, this episode is one of my favourites because we dive into the world of all things motorsport. We discuss gender in this industry and why there's a lack of female drivers out there on a global scale. But also we explore the future of this sport. Thinking of renewing or shopping around for car insurance to get the best deal, the AA is one of Ireland's top car insurance intermediaries and we've been providing car insurance for nearly 40 years. The AA has teamed up with the top insurers to compare quotes so that you can get the best level of cover to suit your needs at the right price. We also do the price checks so you don't have to. To find out more, go to theaa.ie, AA Ireland Limited. Trading as AA Insurance is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. So to find out more about this topic, I spoke with motoring journalist Geraldine Herbert and also Nicole Drought, who is a race car driver from County Tipperary. So let's have a listen. So you're very welcome to the AA Ireland podcast, Geraldine. Thank you, Anna. Look, some listeners might know and some might not, but can you talk me through the history of race car driving in Ireland and also the role that women have played in this? Yeah, well, I suppose in terms of uh, motorsport and women, there's uh, even sort of on a a global and international um, sense, there hasn't been that many really that have been that have been involved or stand out. And and, and I suppose, you know, in Ireland, it's been the same. It's been very male dominated. I suppose the ones we'd remember, the the main person in Ireland we'd remember is Rosemary Smith, who's still a great icon and has been probably the one person that I'm sure if you interviewed women involved in motorsport today, that would be the name. That would be, you know, the first person they would mention as being the sort of icon. And she's she's known internationally and she's not just an Irish hero. But in terms of on a kind of a world scale, on a global scale, I suppose there, you know, women have been involved in Formula One, which most people don't and are not aware of. They've been involved in rallying. They've been involved in all sorts of areas. But as I said, there's, there's really only a handful of women that I suppose we'd remember. Yeah, and we'll, we'll dive into Rosemary's career a bit more maybe later on. But I want I do want to stick with the role of women and expand on that and talk about gender in the motorsports industry. So what are your thoughts on this? Like, why are there so few female racing drivers? Is it a lack of opportunity? Is it money or interest? Yeah, and I think it's a it's as a, it's a much a lack of opportunities as it is a lack of visibility. It's that age old thing that we need to get more women involved in the sport to encourage younger women to get, you know, to, to come through the ranks. But how do you get them there? One of the big things, and I think most women in motorsport would say this, it's a very expensive hobby or pursuit to begin with. So you need sponsorship. Probably companies are more likely to fund males because it's such a male dominated sport than they are women. So a lack of, of, of budget, I'd say, is a big thing, but also role models. But I mean, that is changing. We do see um, social media has been quite key in all of that. It's much easier now for, for young women to see other women involved in motorsport, be it on Instagram or be it on Twitter. So I think things are changing for the good in that sense. But, you know, it is it is a difficult one. There's more things happening in Ireland now. Um, motorsport Ireland set up a commission for women's for for women in motorsport only, only this year, which seems you know slower than most countries, but at least it's happening. There's various initiatives like Formula Female and Girls on Track, and it's all about just you know providing these role models for younger women to see that it is possible and to see to, to almost just ha- you know consider it as a pathway for a lot of um, for a lot of women. I suppose you know if they don't see role models, they just it's not even on their radar. And would the reason be physical or 
the ability of some female drivers? I mean, surely not. No, I wouldn't have thought so. I mean, I, if we go back to what Sterling Moss said, you know, that they didn't have the mental strength to race hard wheel to wheel. I mean, that, that to me is just absolutely nonsense. The fact that we do know that, the, you know, the women did compete in Formula One in the 50s, it's nothing to do with that. I just do think it's the environment around it. And as I said, it's seen as a very male dominated world. And not every woman is, is you know, wants to take on that. And, you know, it, it is difficult to break into those things and it's difficult to be the only woman competing or to be the only one on the circuit. So, you know, I think the more women we get involved and it is gaining momentum now, we see, I think, a big change over the next decade. So tell us then about some of the historical icons. Yeah, well, a woman that most people have never even heard of is Maria Teresa de Filippas. She was an Italian in who was born in, in 1926 and she actually competed. She was the first woman to enter a Formula One race championship and was one of only two to have qualified and made it to the starting grid. And I mean, if you ask most most people, male or female, you know, name a woman that was involved in Formula One. I don't think any of it's a name that most people would know. And she she started racing when she was 22 and she was basically goaded by her two brothers who said she couldn't drive fast because she competed in all sorts of sports, but she'd never had any great interest in racing. Anyway, it turned out she was really, really good. And she was winning various different um, championships and races across Italy in 1954. But she competed in the 1958 and 59 Grand Prix, the 1958 Monaco Grand Prix. And she actually, her best achievement was she came 10th in the 1958 Belgian Grand Prix at Spa, but she was later banned from the French Grand Prix the same year when the race director said that the only helmet that a woman should use is the one at the hairdressers. So I think that kind of captures Anna what, uh, what the thoughts were about women yeah, competing in well, Formula One at the time. Certainly. Extraordinary. The other thing I find extraordinary about her is like, obviously, you know, Formula One had only started in, the, in I think it was 1950. So it was all very new. So, you know, the fact that women were competing in 1958 should have meant that in the the public mind, Formula One should have been open to males and females. Now, while it was, there was obviously no rules against them competing. It was this perception again that it was a male dominated sport. But it was another two decades before a a woman, Leila Lombardi, entered the season in 1974. And she actually finished sixth in her third and her only third race. And that was the best achievement by a woman, a Formula One driver to this day. And it seems like extraordinary that it was two decades, you know, later before that happened. And now look at where we are. We have no women competing in Formula One. So it seems we've gone backwards in that sense. We have. Yeah. And I I mean, I wanted to talk to you about Formula One and I wanted to get you just to explain a bit firstly about what it is and why there is such a lack of female drivers. And I also want to touch on the W Series, which is in partnership with Formula One. And it's also going to race at eight Grand Prix weekends this year. So would you mind just chatting a bit about that? Yeah, well, I suppose briefly, Formula One is sort of the highest um, etchings of motorsport. And it's it's always been male dominated. As I said, you know, if you can count on one hand the amount of women who've actually competed in it. It's, it's I mean, and there's no real reason why women can't compete in it. Yes, it's a very physical sport. It, I mean, it, they're, you know, Formula One drivers are as much athletes as, as Olympic competitors. But at the same time, as I said, but it's highly, highly competitive. Again, it's like any sort of area of motorsport. You need huge backing, huge sponsorship to get to that 
to get to that level. So the W series was basically created with the intention of allowing women who cannot get as far as Formula One for all sorts of reasons to actually have a platform to compete at that level. And it was seen, I suppose, it was it was designed to be to give women who, as I said, didn't get opportunities a gateway to move in their career. Now, it's one of those things that there's kind of very differing opinions on it. When it first came out, it was seen as a retrograde step for the simple reason that uh, segregation has never been a part of motorsport to introduce it therefore seems like it was as uh, you know it, it was actually going backwards rather than forwards but i think since it started the attitude has changed and i think one of the interesting things about it is once it started the the whole discussion of gender was removed we weren't look you know you weren't watching a formula 1 race with one single female racer in it and going oh isn't she doing great for a woman suddenly because the, the the playing field was level and it was only women competing I think people who watched it got involved in the driving in the same way as they would watching the driving the same way as they would Formula One. And it was no longer it somehow had managed to take gender out of it, which I actually think was a good thing because I was one of those people who was actually kind of suspect about the W series and whether or not it was a good idea. So my own view on it now is it's a necessary evil. We, we hopefully won't have it in the next decade. You know, we'll have moved to a point where we have women competing properly in Formula One. But until then, I think it's a really good idea to allow women get more opportunities, get sponsorship and showcase what they can do. Absolutely. And Geraldine, I spoke with Nicole Drought, who's from Tipperary. We'll listen to that interview a little later on in the podcast, but she is doing exceptionally well in this sport. She mentioned that when she started off, there weren't many females in the sport. But then as she got older, you know, she said that one of her role models was Rosemary Smith, who you did mention earlier on. Can you talk me through Rosemary's career just a bit more. Oh yeah, I mean Rosemary's just she's the most fascinating character. I actually interviewed her just before Christmas for an Australian magazine, and that'll just show you there's still huge interest worldwide in Rosemary and her life. I mean Rosemary, she was born in 1937 in Dublin, and she was one of three kids, and it was her father who taught her to drive when she was only 11. But she never had any interest in racing. She was a very kind of self-conscious teenager, and and she saw driving as just something to escape. I think she just loved getting into her car and you know escape school and uh, you know her own world it was a way of, of just getting away from it all but dry but racing wasn't on the agenda at all and she actually studied at the Grafton Academy and then set up a boutique with her mom in South Ann Street and it was actually while running that business that uh, she had a chance meeting with Delphine Bigger who's the wife of a Monte Carlo uh, rally winner and she wanted Rosemary to be her navigator at a rally in Killarney so they went off anyway on this on this rally, and it turned out very quickly that that uh, Rosemary wasn't very good. Her, her navigating skills weren't particularly good, but she was a great driver. So they swapped roles, and they kept the secret for quite a long time. But anyway, to cut a long story short, she, her driving then began gaining attention, and she was soon offered a position um, as a works driver for a British manufacturer. And from there, she competed in six Monte Carlo rallies, uh, the Geneva Rally, the Circuit of Ireland, all sorts of things. But she's probably best remembered for her victory in the Netherlands in 1965. She won the Tulip Rally. Now, this was after four days, 2,000 miles in her, in her famous little um, trusty Hillman Imp. And that's really the car she became synonymous with. And that's the victory that most people remember her for. And she tells a, a great story about returning to the hotel that night. And she had a congratulatory letter and a big bouquet of flowers from Elizabeth Taylor and uh, Richard Burton. So that could kind of show you just how big, you know, the, the winning the Tulip Rally was. But the um, I, I think the one she's the, the event she's most proud of is the 1968 London to Sydney Rally. Now, this was a non-stop marathon covering 11 countries 
17,000 kilometres. And I mean, today, in terms of health and safety, it would never be approved. They drove through the night and all sorts. And she tells a, a great story about just as she got to the uh, treacherous Khyber Pass in Afghanistan, her Ford Cortina started to develop all sorts of mechanical issues. And anyway, the car wouldn't drive forward. And the only way she could actually cope was to drive in reverse. And she actually drove the entire 73 kilometre stage in reverse. And I think that that just tells you what sort of a driver and what sort of persistence Rosemary Smith has. And she has so many stories like that. She really does of just, you know, and she doesn't even bat an eyelid when she tells them. It's just, well, what else was I going to do? If it wouldn't go forward, it had to go backwards. <laughs> so, you know, it was as simple as that. Uh, and she still has that sort of attitude to life today. But of course, she she was then brought to, to fame and for to a, a whole new audience when in nine, in 2017 uh, Renault she became the uh, the um the oldest woman in the world the oldest person in the world to drive a formula 1 car this was an anniversary that Renault were celebrating and uh, Renault Ireland asked her would she be part of it and she went off and she drove that Again, what I think is interesting about this, and you wonder how far we've come in terms of attitudes to women, this and um, the Guinness Book of Records were actually contacted about this and told them they were told, you know, there's a 79 year old woman who's going to drive a Formula One car. Can you come along and verify it? Because she's going to be the oldest person in the world. They thought it was so unlikely that she would achieve it. They didn't even bother sending someone to actually verify it. So the 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 world record um, the world record went unnoticed and unrecorded because of that. We'll have to get her on. I mean, just to talk about her life, it sounds fascinating and yeah, just wow. Yeah, you have to. I mean, honestly, she's she's amazing. She really is. Just... I'm, I'm not doing her any justice. I'm really not. <laughs> it's fascinating, Jarlene. Just finally, what do you think the future for women in motorsport? looks like? Look, I think the future looks bright. As I said, I think social media has been really key to just showing women, um, younger women, that there's that there's women at all levels of sport, but there's also women at all levels of the engineering side, you know, the mechanical side. There's women now in, appearing in all areas of it, which is really, really good. And the more we can, the more they can be visible role models for younger women, the more opportunities they have. And I really think it makes young women think that this, as I said, these are often opportunities that are are possibilities that are not even on their horizon. And the more they can see other women doing things that challenge their perceptions and challenge their own ideas, the more we will see them, you know, becoming a key part in all areas of motorsport. So look, I do think, I do think the future is bright. Well, look, Geraldine, thank you so much for joining us today on the AA Ireland podcast and for your super insight. Now we'll have a listen to my interview with Nicole Drought. Thanks, Anna. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Delighted to be here. So, look, tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so my name is Nicole Drought and I'm originally from Roscrain County Tipperary, probably best known for uh, being involved in motorsport. But outside of that, I am an accountant, but obviously won't get too much into that today because it's not as exciting as the motorsport world. And, you know, tell me a little bit about your early life. How did you get into this sport? Yeah, so my dad has a car business in Ross Grey, so I was always heavily involved or around cars. And when I was growing up, he used to rally cars, so I followed him around the country and thought that I was the, the chief uh, inspector of the car during the rallies and keeping an eye on what was going on and questioning everything. So, yeah, I was always involved in, in, in his motorsport and just absolutely loved it and from an early age wanted to compete and yeah wanted just to, all I wanted was to drive. So that passion then growing up when did that turn serious and when did you become properly like involved in the industry? 
So a lot of kids would start in karting from about six or seven. I was kind of the extreme case where I didn't start until uh, my 20s. So I was very late coming into the sport and had a lot of catching up to do. And I think some of that might have been because I didn't really know the the entry points into the sport. Following my dad in, in rallying, I just wanted to get straight into a rally car when really I probably should have been karting. So I didn't start until 2015. And a couple of years before that, I had multiple part-time jobs just trying to to raise money to to buy my first racing car so I got to do that in 2015 and that's when it kind of all kicked off for me. And did you play any other sport like why did you choose racing what 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 is the allure in racing? Yeah like I loved all different types of sports I played camogie and I loved tennis and football and playing with loads of cousins so we, we used to play all sorts of games and I was a very sporty child but I think I don't know what it was about motorsport, but it, it kind of drew me a little bit more. And uh, I think that cut out the rest of the sports once I uh, got into a racing car. So I think it must be the adrenaline rush. I don't think I get anything else. I don't get, I get that same rush from any, from any other sport or any other thing. It's just, it's hard to describe. It's, it's a feeling that's just like no other. And when you're racing then, is it, you know, describe that feeling that you get. I mean, you're travelling at speeds that... I can't even imagine travelling at. Yeah, I mean, it's when you when you think back, it's probably madness. But at the time, you know, you're so focused and you want to win that you're not thinking about the danger of the sport. It's just I I can't even describe it. The feeling you can feel it in your tummy. It's just incredible, and I I enjoy every second of of being in a racing car and driving it to the limit. So look, Nicole, talk to me through the steps from 2015 in your career from then to now. Yeah, so in 2015 I started out in Irish Touring Cars, which was the championship that my dad was competing at the time. So it was the natural kind of step for me because I didn't really know about any of the other classes. And I did that for two years and became the first woman to win the, in the championship. I then moved on to Globals. I, I kind of dipped my foot into many different uh, cars after that to just gain as much experience as possible. Strikers did the six-hour Fiesta race here. Yeah, I, I, there's just so I'm trying to think back of all the, the different championships <laughs> I've dipped into now. And uh, then into to Brick Car in the Porsche, high-end ITCR in Brick Car, and, and this year in the Lotus. So I'm probably after uh, taking out a big chunk of cars that I'm after driving, but um, I just that's that's just from memory where the the different cars that I've driven since uh, yeah, since standards. I started. And when you were growing up, like you looked up to your dad, but want to talk about females as well in the industry did you have any role models growing up or were you aware that there were you know a lack of females so to speak it's strange because it took a number of years for me to to realize that I actually didn't really know any females involved in the sport I think because I was so involved in it from an early age I didn't kind of notice if there was male or, or females and just when I think back now you know it was all it was all males but I was never made feel any different or you know that I was strange for for being a girl in love in motorsport I think my family made me just feel like it was the norm but yeah it's not until later years that I kind of realized that look there aren't that many females in the sport and even when I brought bought my first racing car and brought it to Mandela Park you know that was when I kind of it's I stood out a little bit because there weren't that many females driving racing cars but Absolutely, the, the number one person I can think of is uh, Rosemary Smith, who's an icon, not just in Irish motorsport, but around the world. And, and she definitely paved the way for, for females in motorsports. So she's definitely someone that I look up to about my father as well. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And um, let's talk about then the process of getting into it. Like if I was a young girl and if I was listening to the podcast and this is something I wanted to do, 
Can you talk me through the process? Because I know it is, it's quite expensive. You mentioned buying your first race car as well. Can you talk me through those steps? Yeah, so motorsport is a really expensive sport. I mean, not just the, the cart or the car, but all your gear and your helmet and everything else. So I think the first thing I would do if I was a young kid looking to, to get into racing is talk to someone who's done it. I guess the starting point is to maybe try rental carts to see if you like it, first of all, before spending all that money. And then after that depending on your age and maybe karting is, is the best route because you can't start in cars until you're 14. But definitely ask someone, that's, that's one mistake I probably made, is not asking the question of where I should start. So if anyone that is listening and has questions, you know, please feel free to reach out to me and, and, and ask. And the physical aspect of this sport how often do you train yeah I think a lot of people laugh when you bring up fitness in motorsport because you're just apparently you're just driving a car so why would you need to be you're fit? sitting down <laughs> yeah. um, but actually it is it is very physically draining and mentally draining draining as well so I would try to three or four uh, gym sessions and maybe a couple of cardio sessions as well during the week and I've noticed a massive difference in myself and and how I approach racing and how I'm able to do longer longer stints in the car. So I could do one-hour races up to 24-hour races. So um, you need to have that stamina to, to be able to last that long in a racing car and have that focus for that length of time. And also the mental side of it, I work with Alan Heary, who was my performance coach. So um, we would do a lot of visualisation and keep, keep myself calm for the race and focus. So, you know, there's a huge element outside of just jumping into a racing car to, to be ready to race. And do you think there is some sort of, I won't say bias towards men with the physical side of things? Do you think that matters? Um, I don't think it's affected me so far. I mean, as I mentioned, when I started out, I probably wasn't as fit as I am now. And I notice a huge difference in myself when I, when I get into the car. So you definitely need to have an element of fitness, I think, to be competitive. But so far in a being as strong as a male, I mean, I haven't seen that um, affect me yet anyways. And, and like to be honest, I've only really competed against males. I would say there were probably only a handful of females that I've competed against since 2015. So, yeah, I don't think there has been. What races or series can you tell me about? What have you been in and what cars have you driven? Yeah, I've had I've driven a lot of cars and, and I've been in a couple of different series. I mean, the most notable car cars, I mean, are probably the two Formula One cars that I got to drive, thanks to John Campion. He signed me up in 2020 to uh, be a CJJ motorsports driver. John was originally from Cork and uh, was supporting young Irish drivers. And he allowed me to drive the March Guinness Formula One car Formula One car here at Mandela Park so that was absolutely incredible at the historic festival and the next car I suppose in, in Florida in, in 2020 again I got to drive his Jordan Formula One car so they're probably the most notable cars or the cars that people can relate to. Outside of that I got to drive in brick car in a Porsche GT4 car so um, yeah some really cool pieces of machinery. That's amazing. And what are you up to now? This year I'm competing in the Club Enduro in a Lotus Elise. Something very different for me, working with downforce this time. So there's a lot to learn in that, but um, I'm absolutely having a ball so far. We just had our first race, but uh, unfortunately didn't go to plan. We had some gearbox and, and engine troubles, but uh, at the end of May we'll hopefully be out again and, and fighting for podiums. And winning and losing, you know, obviously winning is, is great, but how do you handle losing and you know disappointment i think when you're depending on, on a car it's 
you know, it's kind of difficult because you're, you're relying on external factors as well as yourself. And that can be quite tough. I mean, it, it can get to you mentally when things go wrong or even if you make a mistake yourself, it's it's really hard to accept. But working with, with Alan, he's really helped me to try deal with these kind of things and reset for the next race and, you know, take notes of what could go better next time. What could I do to improve? What could we do to have a better car for the next weekend so while they're really tough and I've had some tough weekends um, where you, where you question yourself but I think all, all peop, sports people do it's only natural because you want to, you want to be the best so it is tough but I do have uh, things in place there and people I work with to, to help me deal with those things and I suppose losing as well if you don't lose you can't improve and you know it makes winning all the better doesn't it definitely I mean you can't you can't really learn so much by uh by coming last but uh, or sorry by winning you can't learn too much by winning but if you if you come last at least you can you can kind of see you know what what factors made you finish in last place and and how can you improve for the next one I mean you don't see the the winner on the podium sitting down looking through his data seeing how he can he can uh, go better you know what the bad days make the the good days really really good because you really really appreciate really special. it yeah. yeah I want to talk about the cost and how expensive motorsport is and how important sponsorship is as well yeah I mean sponsorship is key when I started out myself I was I was trying to pay for it myself and obviously got to a point where it was it was getting too much and you know I wanted to keep it going because I was going well but sponsorship at the moment is absolutely key for me to stay going so yeah I, I have a couple of loyal sponsors and you know, I'm very grateful to them because they've kept me going over the last couple of years. And are you always open to more sponsorship? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, if, if anyone wants to get in contact, I know people are probably afraid in case you're going to stay hounding them. But, you know, if you want to get in contact and, and find out what's involved or if you want to let me know what you would like for your business in return, um, absolutely do get, get in contact. You can get in contact on nicole.ie. There's a contact form there if you want more information. Perfect. And are you on social media? I am, yeah. I'm on at Nicole Drought uh, Racing. So on all, all platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You name it. And finally, Nicole, what are your plans for the future? Uh, my long-term plan is to get to Le Mans or Daytona 24-hour. You know, it's a bit of a, a long shot, I think, but I didn't think I'd get to drive two Formula One cars uh, when I started out. So, yeah, it's definitely something that I'm, I'm trying to work towards and keep getting experience and, and hopefully someday I'll get to do it. Well, look, you mentioned your role models, but... I think you're definitely one to look up to for younger people anyway. So uh, thanks a million for joining us today on the Ireland podcast. Thank you so much. If you'd like to read or listen to more of our content, go to the AA blog, www.theaa.ie forward slash blog. And you will, of course, find us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook and TikTok. Please subscribe to the podcast. And until next time, goodbye and be safe.